You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. I just want to say thank you so much for all your love. Those of you that have been with us for a long period of time, and those that have been with us for just, just a short time, and we've met each other through... Uh, LTGs or 201 or 301, but you guys have shown such love to me and my family. I just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. So I just want to thank you for that. Um, you got to, this is going to be your, a privilege for you. You're going to hear the best sermon I've ever preached, <laughs> but also the worst sermon I ever preached. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes, you know, towards the end there, but uh, God has given me uh, something to share and put on my heart, and so I really want to, uh, what I want to ask you to do is one thing, and that is try to listen with your heart, and don't get caught up in the, the presentation, because it's, it's going to be very different than what, we're, what you're used to. I mean, I thought about shaving my head just to make it a little more, you know, normal for you, but uh, Cheryl would, my wife Cheryl would have had something to say about that, so I decided not to do that, um, but about that, both, both uh, you have a great pastor, and uh, both Pastor Bill and, and my wife Cheryl, over the last month or so since Pastor Bill asked me, um, have been giving me words of life and encouragement. And so that's why I'm willing to have the courage to even stand up here this morning. <laughs> not that you guys are scary, because you're not. So I just want to say up front, I'm not a preacher. <laughs> Let's all relax and take a deep breath. But I, I am more of a teacher, so you're going to have that kind of feel to it. Um, I like to sit in my living room and talk and interact with people, um, and that's, that's usually the opportunity that I have a chance to share and, and teach, um, but I'm free to give this a try. So at the heart of this message, which has to do with freedom, being free, is that God has created each one of us with unique giftings and talents and desires, and we need to be true to that. Amen? Amen. So that's, that's really what the heart of the message is about. Before I go on, I want to, I'd like to mention that nothing I'm going to share is going to be original. Matter of fact, I got that line from a book. <laughs> but I really, I loved it. I loved it because the person is like this tremendous theologian, but he was, he's quoting, you know, church fathers and everything. Um, but I think that's, that's so true. You know, we, there's such a tendency to want to be impressive but God hasn't created us to be impressive. The Father is impressive, right? Jesus is impressive. The Holy Spirit is impressive. But we're free not to be, not to be impressive. That being said, about originality, I want to mention two books that I've taken a lot of my ideas from today. And I'm kind of hoping to wet your palate with the idea of what it means to be free. But if you're really interested, you can, you can check these two books out. One of them is Eugene Peterson's book entitled Traveling Light, Modern Meditations on St. Paul's Letter of Freedom. There's also a devotional called Emotionally Healthy Relationships by Pete Scazzaro. Some of you probably remember the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class that we, we did. Um, a very similar devotion, uh, devotional, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. Excellent devotional, excellent devotional. I hope we have a chance to, uh, to teach that sometime in uh, 2021. So let's just, let's just bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to be together. 
We appreciate, Lord, every person that's here that weathered the storm to come here. And we just pray more than anything else that we would learn how to walk in freedom. That, Lord, you know what each person needs. And we just ask, Lord, that you would just anoint me and just uh, allow something to be imparted to each person that's here that would help them in some special way. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message is Free to Love. And this is what Jesus said in John 8, 31 to 32, and verse 36 as well. If you abide in my word, that is in the person of Jesus, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. The first thing we need to remind ourselves is that Jesus has set us free in this life, in this life. He came to set the captives free, to declare liberty. He came to loosen our bonds. He came to release us from the bondage of sin and death. He has set us free. God himself is free, and he wants his children to be free. Think about the Garden of Eden. Everything about that garden spoke of freedom. Genesis 2.16, you may freely eat from any tree of the garden with one exception. Don't eat from this tree. Sorry, I just lost my place there. (laughs) Um, And that exception is because it was going to be harmful to Adam and Eve. One commentary said God was using this one area of obedience. He just gave him that one thing to do, one restriction. And that was don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, I'm sorry, backtracking. One commentary said that God was using this one area of obedience to train them in the supernatural through obeying him. Through natural obedience... He will do supernatural things. God wanted them to be free and enjoy what he had provided. And God is not a control freak. God gave Adam the freedom to name the animals. It's just one illustration of how he's not a control freak. If I was, if I was God, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have entrusted such an important job to somebody, but he did that. He gave Adam the freedom to do that. Although I wonder if God was not too happy with Adam when he named the platypus a platypus. I'm sure he forgave him though (laughs) Jesus set us free God the Father is free and wants us to be free like him here's the problem we often don't walk in that freedom do we at times we're stressed anxious, worried and fearful and I think more than anything else because we don't understand what it means to walk in freedom we get tired we get weary. The Pharisees of the day, during Jesus' time, loaded heavy burdens on the shoulders of others. Law without mercy. And honestly, if we really think about it, we lay heavy burdens on ourselves, possibly more than anyone else does. The need for approval. The need to get it right all the time. The need to be impressive. The need to be liked by everyone. The need to be in control. But Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, which these are incredibly liberating words, come to me all who, are, who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. There's a few things I want to say about these verses. First, a yoke is a farming tool. It's a wooden cross piece that's fastened over the neck of two animals and attached to the plow that they are to pull. It's designed to spread the load. Jesus is offering to work together with us. The alternative... Sorry about that. <laughs> you know what? And it's, it's, I'm going to mention this later on in, uh, in the message, but one of, the, one of the freedoms we have is freedom to fail. And I took a chance on bringing my laptop up here. <laughs> so it's not going to be totally sm- smooth, but the alternative is, is to him working together with us is that it all rests on our shoulders, trying to be good, trying to be productive all the time, always feeling like we have to put a good face on. It's interesting. He, he offers us the yoke. He's not demanding it. He's not forcing it on us. It's our choice. We have the freedom to say no. But if we take his yoke on us, there's at least two things that will come of it. First, we'll learn from him. We'll learn from him how to walk in this world with all the responsibilities and pressures of everyday life and yet experience peace and joy and walk in freedom. We learn that from him. And also we find rest. Rest and freedom go hand in hand. It's interesting that if we take the yoke he offers us, we'll find rest. You would think it's the opposite, right? It's, it's work. But he's a strong one in our relationship. And realistically, he carries the whole burden. We just get to walk with him. Amen? So let's explore this idea of walking in freedom some more. We're going to be speaking of some ideas that come from the book of Galatians. Let's start with chapter 5, verse 1. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. Notice a yoke of slavery in contrast to Christ's yoke, which brings freedom and rest. Let's talk a little bit about what the context of this verse is. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, Galatians, was Jewish. God had a covenant with Jewish people through Moses. 613 laws were given them to keep including feasts and sacrifices and dietary rules and rules about clothing and tattoos and on and on. And a, lot of, a lot of burnsome things. That's not how God meant it to be, but that's how it, 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 they, they took it as it. And Paul was part of a sect called the Pharisees who were very zealous for the law. Paul described himself in this way, blameless, according to the righteousness under the law. That that took a little bit of boldness to say, right? (laughs) He was so zealous for the law to protect and keep in control that he persecuted Christians and sent them off to jail, thinking that this this is what it was meant to be righteous. God has said to Abraham that through you all the families of the earth will be blessed, and yet Paul was persecuting the church. But then he had an amazing life-changing encounter with Jesus, and everything changed. It must have been such a heavy burden before he met Christ, trying his best to keep the law and failing, which of course would be inevitable, even for Paul. Trying to live under the law is a tremendously heavy burden that is actually impossible to do. I remember when we were raising our children, especially the first few, that we thought it was our responsibility to raise the ideal set of kids. Good luck with that, right? (laughs) I think a lot of times as parents we do that, though. We try to do that. We work so hard to try to do that. And I've, and I've come to believe that trying to control your life and your family 
so it can all be ideal, is the enemy of love. Put, tuck that away, because that's so important. Trying to, trying to raise kids and have them be ideal kids is the enemy of love, the enemy of having a loving family. At some point, we realized controlling our kids was not the answer. And then we became free to love them. Well, Paul, when he had an, his encounter with Christ, he was converted by Jesus to something radically and entirely different, a free life in God. He learned that God didn't coerce us from without, but set us free from within. In his early travels, Paul founded some churches in the Roman province of Galatia. The Galatians were mostly comprised of Gentiles, which are, you know, back then, everybody that wasn't Jewish. They received the good news and became followers of Jesus. And I want to read a quote about what N.T. Wright said regarding Paul's conversion because it relates well with what I'm trying to explain about freedom. And part of Paul's message was that God is now building a new family, a single family, a family with no divisions, no separate races, no one table for Jews and another for Gentiles nonsense. Jews believe that when the Messiah came, he would be Lord of all the world. So Paul argues he'd have to have just one family. And though this family is the fulfillment of what this God had promised to the Jews, the remarkable thing is that because of Jesus, you don't have to be a Jew to belong. The God of Israel wants to be known as Father by the whole world. That was a wonderful beginning for the Galatian churches. A few years later, Paul learned that religious leaders of the old school had come into those churches calling his views and, and authority into question and were introducing the old ways hurting all these freedom-loving Christians back into the corral of rules and regulations. Basically, they were saying, it's wonderful that you came to Christ, but if you want to be part of the family, you need to be circumcised. Paul was extremely angry, and that's, that's saying it really lightly. He knew if they started down the road of saying that Christ's death was not enough for them to be made right, that they had to do something else to be accepted by God, it was going to lead them to a really, really bad place. So he said some pretty strong words. And normally, when, he's, when he writes to the churches, he starts out with some kind of word of encouragement. Right? You know, I thank God for your faith and love. Even when he corrected the Corinthians church, he had something positive to say at the very beginning. Not so with the Galatian church. Instead, he used very disappointed and corrective words, such as, I'm astonished. He called them bewitched like they were under a spell. He was sarcastic about the issue of circumcision and told them that those who are trying to put them back in bondage, don't just stop at the foreskin, but just go all the way with it. <laughs> That's the context that Paul speaks about freedom. Christ has set us free, and we need to walk in that freedom. Let's talk a little bit more about what it means to be free. It means to be free to be yourself. Free to say no, or to say it another way, free to resist, free to receive correction, and free to fail, which goes hand in hand with free to be led to new places. It's so important that we learn how to be ourselves. And when I say that, I mean the authentic self that God created us to be. It's bondage for us to always be wishing we were someone else or trying to act like someone other than who we are. For me to be me and for you to be you, we need to know 
who we are. It starts with knowing that God has made each one of us unique. We are a unique expression of his creativity in the world. Nobody is quite like, quite like anyone else, no exact duplicates. Forget about doppelgangers and all that stuff. <laughs> Someone might look like us, but we're so much more than just looks. We don't all look alike or feel alike or act alike. In Psalm 139, verses 13 to 15, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. This is God fashioning us in our mother's, mother's wombs. He didn't just leave our design by chance. He was intimately involved with shaping us even before we were born, and he still does that today, amen? We need to remind ourselves often that our identity is found and that we are a child of God through faith in Christ. One of the ways we remind ourselves is, is by often saying thank you. Thank you for my identity is wrapped up in a, in a relationship with you. You know one of the things I do before I leave the house in the morning. I get on my knees and I pray a short prayer, committing whatever I do to God, leaving the results in his hands. But I always finish with, God, thank you that my performance does not change your love for me. Whether I strike out that day or hit the ball out of the park or somewhere in between, that doesn't change your love for me. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. We can all say that, right? Thank God. Don't be imprisoned by trying to be something other than yourself. If you try to be someone you're not, it's hard work. Trust me, I know. It can be draining and impairs our ability to truly love others. God is the one who gives us our personalities. Like whether you're an extrovert, an introvert, and he also gives us each one of us gifts. And by the way, we all have them, so don't think that you don't have gifts. And if we say, no thanks, I don't like those gifts, or I don't like my personality, the fact that he's made me an extrovert or an introvert, and I want something like this person has, or equally as troubling, you get intimidated by someone else because they function so well in their gifts, we'll never have peace and probably won't be effective in loving others because we're rejecting who God created us to be. We're trying to be or act like someone that we're not equipped to be. Think of the story of David and Goliath. Saul gave David his armor to fight with, and David tries it on and can barely walk in it. So he takes what he has into the battle, which is just a sling and five stones, hardly weapons suitable for a battle. And he ended up defeating Goliath. If he had used Saul's armor, it might have had a different outcome. I don't know. <laughs> it's possible. He respectfully appealed to Saul and decided to just be himself a shepherd boy with a sling. He wasn't equipped to use Saul's armor. It just didn't fit him. We need to be free to be ourselves. It's important to remind ourselves that we all have strengths and weaknesses. Last time I checked, none of us are perfect. We're all a work in progress. I think one of the beautiful messages of Jesus coming as an infant is that even he was a work in progress. He wasn't born fully mature. Even Jesus had to learn, had to grow, and so it is with us. We need to be patient with ourselves and patient with each other. We need to be ourselves and also be content with the pace at which God is shaping us to be. That's how it is 
with my granddaughter, Sophia. So far, we're enjoying every stage that she is at. We don't want her growing up too fast. We don't want her growing up too slow. We need to enjoy the journey. And the same is true for Salem. We're not like other churches. We need to appreciate the journey that God has put us on, which for some of us oldies started with Bishop Phil, handed off to Pastor Mark, and then to Pastor Bill. We need to be grateful for who we are and what God is doing here, but also grateful for what God is doing in other churches. And we need to give room and space to people and churches to be who they are. We need to give them space to grow. That doesn't necessarily mean that we agree with everything that another church is doing, but we can appreciate the diversity between our church and others. I mentioned before about being your authentic self, and I'd like to take a poke at that a bit. The authentic self and the false self. After Adam and Eve turned away from God, they used fig leaves to cover and hide their shame. These fig leaves have often been referred to by spiritual writers as false or idealized selves we project in the world to cover and hide the shame we feel about our true selves. We effectively put on a fig leaf whenever we tie our identity to anything but the deep love of God and his will for our lives. Here's a quote that I thought was helpful in understanding what the the false self is. When we live a false self, we fear that our lack of a true center for our identity will be revealed and that weakness will be exploited by others. One of the ways our false self tries to compensate is to find our, our identity and performance. I am what I do. Is one of the primal, perspective, primal perspectives of the false self. Our false self is a master manipulator, always seeking to leverage this world and all those in it in ways most advantageous to our own security, prestige, and especially agenda. Our false self always promotes us and our agenda above all others. When we live out of a false self, when we, cho- when we choose to pro- project and protect our idealized image, like let me show you how I have it all together and I have no cracks and here's the reason why, it really does have a negative effect on our relationships. When we live out of a true self anchored and grounded in God, we impact others in a positive way. To be our authentic self, we need to be open and vulnerable with others about our cracks and broken areas of our lives. We all have them. We need to ask God for the courage to remove those fig leaves and allow others to see our true selves. If we're truly going to be free to be ourselves, we need to be free from constantly comparing ourselves to others. God had a unique cup for Jesus to drink. He has a unique plan for each one of us. Henry Nouwen says this, no two lives are the same. We often compare our lives with those of others, trying to decide whether we're better or worse off, but such comparisons do not help much. We have to live our life, not someone else's. We have to hold our own cup. We have to dare to say, this is my life, the life that is given to me, and it is this life that I have to live as well as I can. My life is unique. Nobody else will ever live it. I have my own history, my own family, my own body, my own character, my own friends, my own way of thinking, speaking and acting. Yes, I have my own life to live. No one else has the same challenge. Many people can help me live my life, but after all is said and done, I have to make my own choices about how to live. God has a unique and unrepeatable life for each one of us to live. When we compare ourselves with each other, we end up stifling God's creativity in our lives. 
It's effectively saying to God, why did you make me this way? We need to accept and be grateful for how God has made us. You might feel at times like you're not important, like you're not noticed by others, like you don't have something to offer, but we all do. What would the body be without a little toe? If the little toe is hurting, you know how that feels. The whole body hurts. It's a valuable part of the body. Most of the attention at times in the body of Christ goes to the more visible parts. A mouth speaks and administers to the body. But what about the parts that are not as visible? I want to speak about Kathy Passiati. Kathy is a behind-the-scenes person, but one of the areas of ministry she has is to write cards of appreciation to others. You can't even imagine how often those words on the cards have ministered to me. Think about what a blessing the event team is to the body of Christ or those that you know, uh, provide the Eucharist for us each, each day, each Sunday. The cleaning ministry, we take the, we take the, the cleanliness of our, of our church for granted, which is now called, I heard, uh, Tabernacle Keepers. But you come in here and you don't have to think about, you know, there's no messiness in, you know, in the church when you, when you arrive, and things are clean and neat. Some of you speak life to women and help them. I can go on and on about how people here minister behind the scenes and yet have such a profound impact on us and our children. And then you have those that have gifts, and they use them outside the body that they have impact on. They are being themselves. Some of you care for little children with disabilities and offer hope to their parents. Some fight battles on the social justice front, from working in the areas of academia to give underserved kids a chance for a better life. Many voices being who God created them to be. Going hand in hand with being free to be yourself is that we're free to say no. Free to resist others trying to squeeze you into their image, not God's image. That was essentially what Paul was saying to the Galatians. Don't let others pressure you into going back to being under the law because it will lead you right towards bondage. One example of a person that had integrity and was able to say no despite the pressures around her was Rosa Parks, an African-American woman living in the segregated South in the 1950s. She was tired of pretending everything was fine when it was not. Here's a quote from Parker Palmer describing a history-changing moment both for her and the civil rights movement. On December 1st, 1955, in Montgomery, Alabama, Rosa Parks did something she was not supposed to do. She sat down in the front of the bus in one of the seats reserved for whites, a dangerous, daring, and provocative act in a racist society. When asked, why did you sit down at the front of the bus that day? Rosa Parks did not say that she sat down to launch a movement. She said, I sat down because I was tired. But she did not mean that her feet were tired. She meant that her soul was tired, her heart was tired, her whole being was tired by playing by racist rules of denying her soul's claim to who she was. Rosa Parks made a decision that day to no longer live divided. She would no longer submit on the outside to laws and to a culture that contradicted the truth of her integrity on the inside. God invites us to live a life divided. God invites us to live divided lives no more as well. Here are some signs that we're living a divided life, a life that is unable to say no to the things that steal our freedom. We care too much what other, others think. We spin the truth, exaggerate, or lie to make ourselves look better. We blame others rather than taking responsibility for our words and actions. 
we avoid confrontation. Some of us love confrontation, but some of us don't like it. <laughs> we say yes when we prefer to say no. It's emotionally healthy to say no at times as long as we do it for the right reasons. Amen? It seems like almost everyone had expectations to impose on Jesus' life. He disappointed a lot of people, even to the point where they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Yet he was secure in his Father's love and remained faithful to his God-given identity and purpose. We need to know how to hold on to who we are created to be and who we're not created to be, regardless of our circumstances. Being free means that we're free to receive correction. We are free. As we walk in freedom, it's absolutely critical, and I'm not giving a pun just right there, that we're willing to be corrected, challenged, without being defensive. That's easier to said than done. But we'll never grow without correction. We get comfortable in what we believe. We're sometimes so sure of ourselves. But we all have blind spots, and for that reason, we need someone pushing back on us regularly. Isn't that what a pastor's for? <laughs> That's a joke. Okay. <clears throat> but what, when we are corrected, it gets us thinking and, re- and reconsidering and revisiting what we think we know. But as soon as we shut off or ignore people because we don't like to be corrected, we're missing out on a valuable resource that will help us change and grow. I work on a team at my job. We meet every day, and we share what we finished since the previous meeting, what we're working on, and any blockers that are keeping us from completing our tasks. And my teammates, they're they're relatively nice people. (laughs) But I would say almost every day, when you share what you're working on, questions fly. Why did you take this approach? Unsolicited suggestions are offered regularly like, have you considered this alternative? And at times, pushback. And initially, it was so easy to get defensive. In my own mind, I would think, why don't you focus on your responsibilities and stop worrying about mine? (laughs) Or I thought some worse things too, but that's beside the point. (laughs) But now I realize more often than not, they were just trying to be helpful, and a lot of times, they were right. And listening instead of rejecting what they had to say has kept me from making some pretty significant mistakes at times. God's been teaching me how to genuinely love people and try to see things from their perspective. I'm grateful for pushback. Christ has set us free so we can be free to receive correction. Correction is a healthy part of growing in Christ, growing up. Here's one sidebar. There's a difference between healthy correction and criticism that is damaging to us. We shouldn't allow ourselves to internalize criticism in a damaging way. We need to have discernment and know what to receive and what to, re- what to reject. There's no condemnation in Christ. So take your correction and criticism to him or to a trusted mentor and let, let them help you sort it out. Being free means that you can receive course correction without being condemned. I'm going to end this section with this last point. In our freedom, we need to be free to take risks free to be led to new places, and free to fail if need be. There's always an element of risk with faith. Did I hear God on this? What happens if I made a mistake? And sometimes our analysis paralysis, as Elder Bill would like to say, (laughs) keeps us from making a decision, even keeps us from doing God's will. Remember the parable of the talents? The master gave different talents to three servants. The person that was given one talent hit it. He didn't do anything with it. 
And I think it's telling that the first thing he said was, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. That is very unfortunate. That some people see God like that because God is love. He wants the best for us. We really don't know God if we think he's like that. And then the man says, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Hiding your talent in the ground seems to be awfully, an awfully boring way to live, right? Afraid of failure. Not seeing God as, truly, as he truly is a loving father. We're all going to fail, probably regularly. We're not free from failure. We will fail, but we're free to fail. We plan, we pray, and do our best, and sometimes things don't work out. And when we fail, God is right there with us at the center. There we live by faith and failure, by faith and forgiveness, by faith and mercy, by faith and freedom. We don't purposely go out to fail. It does matter how you live. But when you mess up, that doesn't change God's love for you, not one iota. I read this and I thought it was excellent. The reason that all things are lawful to us as Christians is because we have died to the law and the law has no jurisdiction over us. That means we're incredibly free. We're free to try and please God and fail and realize that our failures do not sever our relationship with him, nor do they jeopardize our salvation. The fact that we struggle with being free to fail reveals that we're so darn performance-oriented. We're free to make mistakes, and if we do, own it. That it was a mistake, and then move on. But if we play it safe all the time, we may miss out on some of the great adventures that God has for us. If you failed or afraid of failure, here are a few quotes I thought that might help. He took a slave hiding as a fugitive from justice and used him to deliver an entire nation from bondage. He took a woman who failed to marry seven times and used her to win a city to the Savior. He took a crooked tax collector and made him into an apostle and a biographer of the Christ. Here's another one. Failure is an event, not a destiny. Another one. Apostle Peter's life is an example of how God works mightily through those who fail. Jesus didn't reject him. If anything, after the resurrection, he went after him. All that being said, freedom is dangerous. I'm sure that's popped through your minds a little bit. All this talk about freedom. You mean we can do whatever we want? If you're free to, do, to, to be all those things, we could easily use our freedom for our own selfishness. Why did God risk giving us freedom if it's so dangerous? Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. God created things which had free will. That means creatures which can go, right, can go wrong or right. Some people think they can imagine a creature which was free but had no possibility of going wrong, but I can't. If a thing is free to be good, it's also free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of robots, of creatures that work like machines, would hardly be worth creating. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely voluntarily united to him and to each other in an ecstasy of love and delight compared with which the most rapturous love between a man and a woman on this earth is mere milk and water. And for that, they've got to be free. Of course, God knew what would happen if they used their freedom the wrong way. Apparently, he thought it worth the risk.
I have one more thought, and I'm going to close with this. In Galatians 5.13, for the Message Bible, it says, it's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. How does this play out, you know, ministering to others practically? Bear one another's burdens. Bear one, another, bear one another's burdens. That's tough to say. This fulfills the law of Christ. Taking time to be with others and listen. There are times when God's given, you know, we, we think, we say, you know, we wish we, God would give us a word for our kids. And there's times where God has given me a word for my kids. But more often than not, it comes through listening to them and then responding with something that he gives you right then and there when, when your kids are talking. It takes time to listen. Sometimes we need to set aside our agendas for the sake of others. It's one of the ways we pour ourselves out for other people. Another way we serve each other in love is to show appreciation to each other. Take time often to thank God for the people in your life, including the body of Christ. Express generally your love and appreciation to others. Also, use your gifts to help others. As one example, take the seven motivational gifts of Romans 12. You should check it out. All of us have been given, all of us have been given a motivational gift. If you want some more guidance on that, sign up for a Salem Grows 301 session when it's offered. And there's all kinds of other gifts that God has given each of us that we can use to serve one another. Jesus poured himself out for us, and so he has set us free so we can go and do the same. Amen. I just want to close with a, a prayer, a simple prayer to finish with that speaks volumes about our freedom. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for becoming a human being so I don't have to pretend to try to be a God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for becoming finite and limited so I don't have to pretend that I'm infinite and limitless. I thank you, crucified God, for becoming mortal so I do not have to try to make myself mortal. I thank you for becoming weak so I don't have to be strong. I thank you for being willing to be considered imperfect and strange so I don't have to be perfect and normal. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to be disapproved of so I don't have to try so hard to be approved and liked. I thank you for being considered a failure so I don't have to give my life trying to pretend I'm a success. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for being all the things humanity despises and fears so I can accept myself and others in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.